All right, glad I got that off my chest. It's probably not a good way to start this. Yeah, I do need healing for that. All right, uh, turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. And I have just been overwhelmed with thankfulness for you guys. Um, This whole theme is, I just wish I could take an entire message to communicate uh, my love and gratefulness for you. And, And we feel that way as a pastoral team as well. So Colossians chapter 3, this is such a great section. Verse 1, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And then Paul goes on to talk about, he says, put to death. He talks about these put-offs in the next paragraph. And then in the next paragraph after that, in verse 12, he talks about the put-ons. He talks about what we should put on, and I want to draw your attention to to one of those put-ons. He talks about this more than any others in this section. In verse 15, see if you can figure out what it is. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. One of my favorite theologians is Calvin and Hobbes. There's a great Calvin and Hobbes. It goes like this. I think we're going to show it to you. He says, some people complain all the time. I mean, they complain about the least little thing. If something bugs them, they never let go of it. They just go on and on long after anyone else is interested. It's just complain, complain, complain. People who gripe all the time really drive me nuts. You'd think they'd change the subject after a while, but they never do. They just keep griping until you start to wonder, what's wrong with this idiot? But they go on complaining and repeating what they've already said. Maybe they're not very (laughs) self-aware. Boy, that's another thing that gets on my nerves. (laughs) We are a nation of complainers. And we love to complain. We're experts at it. Our complaining starts the day that we're born. We actually come out fussing and whining. Complaining is our first language, right? It's how we communicate as babies. We don't use words, but we clearly get the point across that we aren't happy, we're not getting what we want, and something needs to change immediately. 
Now, as we grow into our toddler years, the the communication evolves. We use words, and our complaints become more specific. And then we become kids and teenagers and eventually adults. By that time, we've honed the craft of complaining. We're We're not throwing tantrums in the store. We're more sophisticated. We engage our lack of thankfulness in ways that are more socially acceptable. But have we really changed that much? Or are we just toddlers with more money and some more independence? And the problem is not just us. Ingratitude is all around us. It is being modeled for us everywhere we go. People all around us love to complain. And and we're usually happy to join them. In fact, it feels like complaining about things is one of the main ways we relate to people. It's, it's how we connect. I've connected with lots of, of neighbors this way. I mean, if you want to connect with neighbors, let's say you're doing this as an outreach, I give you permission to complain. It will create a bond. <laughs> so there's an evangelistic exception here. If you haven't met your neighbors, walk up and start complaining and you'll be joined. You'll be connected there. There are so many things that we can complain about. We gossip, which is complaining. We critique. We judge others. We envy others. And then there's all the stuff that's coming at us on our screens. It seems like every news feed and social media post is some kind of complaint, something that Someone else is doing wrong. Something that we should all be outraged over. And in reality, we all have a lot to complain about, don't we? We live in a very broken world. We are bombarded every day with new cases of sickness and disease and shootings And natural disasters, divorces, poverty, war, death, pain, suffering, and brokenness is all around us. And it is so easy to just join the great stream of complaining. We're we're swept up in the strong current of ungratefulness. So, what do we do about this? How do we move from complaining to thankfulness? Well, number one, first, focus on the things above. One of the reasons we aren't as thankful as we should be is because we focus too much on the things below. We focus too much on life below. And Paul calls us in Colossians 3 to do the opposite, to make our focus and our lives about the things above. Look again at verse 1. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above. Not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So Paul lays out the facts for us here. Listen, you have been raised with Christ. 
What does that mean? Well, there's, there's an already but not yet aspect to this. It's, it's already realized, but it's not yet fully realized. So we have already been raised with Christ, brought to life through our union with Christ. It's a done deal. Nothing is going to change the fact that we are permanently joined to Jesus. And since he is in heaven, we are in a sense already with him in heaven. We have been raised with him. But there's also a not yet aspect to being raised with Christ. We have not been physically raised. That resurrection is to come. But we have a taste of it now. In Christ, your old life has died. And your new life is hidden with Christ in God. Christ is now your life. We are connected to him. We are united to him. We are hidden in him. Jesus takes us and hides us in God. It's like those little, those little emperor penguin chicks that have to get on the feet of their parents and that kind of fold of, have you, do you know what I'm talking about here? The, the fold, there's like a little special fold of sin, skin that God designed to cover over the little chicks. They're kind of hidden in there, right? Well, we are hidden in Christ. We are protected, just like those emperor penguins, they protect their children. We are protected by Christ. Our life is bound up with him. We belong to him. He's our life. He is our future. And when we die or Jesus comes back, we will go home. Listen, that's where we belong. And it's where Jesus is right now. He is seated at the right hand of God. And listen, we too are seated with God in the heavenly places. That's Ephesians 2. And when he returns, we're going home to heaven. And he is preparing us for that home. And he is going to come back to take us home. And we will live with him in that home, and we will worship him in that home, and we will be overwhelmed with joy in that home. We will be free from sin in that home. We will be free from trials and suffering in that home. We will be free from pain in that home, and we will live forever in that home. We are going to be home with him for all eternity. This is what Paul wants us to focus on. The things above. But there is a tremendous pull to focus on the things below, to, to make the here and now what we think about. And, and we need to think about a lot of things while we're here below. But it can become our exclusive focus and the only thing that we think about. We, we can forget that we don't actually belong to this world. And one of the reasons Paul wants us to focus more on the things above is that it will make us more thankful. That's why Paul mentions thanksgiving throughout this letter. He talks about, I love how he says this in chapter 2, verse 7. He talks about abounding in thanksgiving. 
And in our passage in verse 15, he says to be thankful. Verse 16, to sing with thankfulness in our hearts. Verse 17, and give thanks in everything. He, he ties our thanksgiving directly to our focus. If we focus on the things above, we can't not give God thanks and praise. We will put on thanksgiving when we focus on the life to come. Let me ask you a question. Do you focus on the things above? Do you think about things that are eternal? Do you meditate on the glory that is to come? Let's not allow our lives, as leaders in this church, let's not allow our lives to be consumed with the things below. As followers of Christ, they just don't matter as much anymore. So that's number one, focus on the things above. Number two, focus on the goodness of God. Now, I want to first say, I think that you guys are the most thankful leaders and people that I know. I think this is something that you excel at. And I am regularly the recipient of your thankfulness, your gratefulness, and I can't even believe that I get to be a pastor in this church, and I know I speak for the other pastors as I say this. But I have to tell you that preparing this message has been very convicting for me. You know how preachers will sometimes say a sentence that is really convicting or or make you realize how bad you are at something? Well, I read a sentence in one of the commentaries that has been convicting me for over a week. So I want to share that convicting sentence just so that you can enjoy this kind of conviction with me. I feel all alone in it. Jared experienced some of it. Um, This is the sentence. Our gratefulness is one of the key measures of our maturity and godliness. Our gratefulness is one of the key measures of our maturity and godliness. You can measure, listen, the level of your maturity by the level of your gratefulness. If you are abounding in gratefulness and you often thank God and others, you're mature. And if you don't, if you complain that that's, that's immature. Gratefulness is an important indicator of where we are with the Lord. That's because gratefulness makes a profound statement about what we believe about God and what we believe about ourselves. Gratitude is not just a social nicety. It's an essential command which reveals our understanding of God and the gospel. Now I want to make some theological observations under this point and it will become clear how important right theology is to right living. So first, God is good. God is good. He is resoundingly 
and perfectly and eternally good. His essence, his nature, his very being is good. He is the definition. He defines what goodness is. The Lord is not evil. He does not do evil. He cannot even be tempted by evil. God is good. If you want to know what God's goodness is like, then look at Jesus and you will understand what it means to be good. And his goodness shows itself in millions of ways. It's seen in his abundant benevolence and kindness to all creation. It's seen in the staggering mercy and grace that he shows to his people. God is perfectly good, and this has bearing on our thanksgiving. Because as Jared mentioned, we we don't just thank God for the gifts that he gives, even though all that we have comes from the hand of God. That is not the main reason we thank him. We thank him for who he is. We thank him for being good. His goodness is the foundation for all that we receive. It's the reason that we have all the gifts and blessings that we have. God is good. Theological observation number two, we are not good. Now, I'm not going to belabor this point, but it contributes to our gratitude in this way. God owes us nothing. He owes us nothing. Because of our sin, we rightly deserve punishment and judgment. Our starting point every morning when we wake up is that we deserve God's wrath. But instead, we receive and will continue to receive an abundance of mercy and grace. We are lavished with blessing when we should be lavished with wrath. Theological observation number three. Because God is good, he must work all things for my good. That's Romans 8, 28. Which means we should thank God for all things. Let me say that again. Because God is good, he must work all things for my good, which means we should thank God for all things. Because of God's perfect goodness, he has to work all things out for our good. It wouldn't make sense for God to ever do something that would be bad for us. If you can recognize the good purposes of God in every trial, and you can trust him to produce fruit through it, it will produce praise and thanksgiving in your heart and many other things. As followers of Christ, we should give thanks to God for all of our trials and all of our suffering, everything we go through. Everything. Is this a biblical idea? Yes, it is. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. 
Is this a biblical idea? Yes. Is it a practical idea? It, it doesn't seem to be. Are we really supposed to give thanks when bad things happen? When people get cancer and kids go astray and we get into a car accident when food prices are up and we break the screens on our phones and we have to rip out all the wood of our, off our deck for the third time. Um, are we really supposed to give thanks in all these situations? Yes, we are. We are. But listen, we aren't thanking the situation We are thanking the wise God who knows what he is doing and who is going to use this current trial for our good to help us become more like Christ. We have to look beyond the trial or through the trial to the future work that God is accomplishing in us. Let me give you a couple of examples. Liquid pig manure is the worst smell I have ever experienced. I have only experienced this at Trisha's parents' house in Lancaster where the farmers spread it on the fields behind their house. It is so bad that Trisha's mom, if she has the, the, you know, if she has the, the laundry out drying on the lines, she has to bring it back in and rewash it if they're spreading it on the fields. I have only smelled it from a distance There are farmers filling up tanker trucks with this and then spreading it on their fields. What are farmers thinking spreading this disgusting filth all over their fields? Well, they're thinking about a beautiful, delicious, profitable crop. That unpleasant manure produces the beautiful crop. And in the same way, the unpleasant trials and suffering in our lives produce the beautiful fruit that God wants for our lives. That's why we can thank him always and for everything. Here's another example. Romans 8.22 says that our time on earth is like the pains of childbirth. If your wife is in the middle of giving birth, you say, hi, honey, how, how do you feel? She's not going to say, oh, no problem. I feel perfectly, I, I'm no pain whatsoever, unless the epidural is working perfectly. But normally, right, women are crying out in anguish. They're, they're experiencing great pain. But when they finally hold that newborn baby... They would never trade their baby to escape all that pain. In fact, they're often willing to go through that pain again and again and again. That's the picture in Romans 8.22. What is being produced in us is worth the pain. We are groaning in this world. It doesn't feel good. We're hurting. But we know that through that pain, God is producing a greater love for Christ in us. Even though we groan, we know he is working to bring about good in our lives and to bring about glory to him. 
That's why we shouldn't complain. And it's why we should give thanks in all circumstances. Johnny Erickson Tata has reason to complain. Most of you know her story. She's been a paraplegic for most of her life. She says this. She says, I hope I can take my wheelchair to heaven with me. I know that's not biblically correct, but if I were able, I would have my wheelchair up in heaven right next to me when God gives me my brand new glorified body. And I will then turn to Jesus and say, Lord, do you see that wheelchair right there? Well, you were right when you said that in this world we would have trouble because that wheelchair was a lot of trouble. But Jesus, the weaker I was in that thing, the harder I leaned on you. And the harder I leaned on you, the stronger I discovered you to be. So thank you for what you did in my life through that wheelchair. Verse 17 says this, look at it with me. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. When we are saying whatever it is we're saying and doing whatever it is we're doing, we are to be full of gratitude, abounding in thanksgiving because we know that God is always working for our good and his glory. Sam Crabtree, who wrote this excellent book that we recommended. You guys all have this practicing thankfulness. It's, it's helped me with this message so much. He says, we need to understand that God is always working. Even the things that grieve God, the, the events that threaten to crush us, the things that elicit his compassion and comfort for his people, those things are not accidents or flaws in the plan. They come from the same God who loved us enough to send his son to die. The same God who says he will never leave us or forsake us. In the deepest pain, we can still give thanks because our God is still here with us. And he is working all things for our good. Even if it is difficult for us to see how on this side of eternity. God doesn't waste one single moment in our lives. So why, why do we find it so difficult to be thankful? Why is complaining so much more natural? Well, I think one of the reasons is our expectations. Our expectations often don't match God's plans for our lives. Our goals for our lives often don't match God's goals for our lives. So we come with certain expectations about how things should be. But life doesn't turn out the way we think it should. And therein lies the tension, right? The gap where we're all sorely tempted to complain and grumble. So instead of a God who meets all our expectations and fulfills all our dreams, we experience the perfect will of an infinitely wise God who is relentlessly working his will out for the good of those who love him. None of us live the life we plan to live. 
We live the life that God has planned for us to live. God's ways are perfect. He is infinitely wise, and we are not. That's why we should be grateful when God sets aside our finite plans to bring about his infinite plans. God knows what he is doing. And if we're able to realize this, it will produce great contentment, great peace, and great thanksgiving. There's a great quote by Jeremiah Burroughs. He says, a gracious heart is contented by the melting of his will and desires into God's will and desires. By this means, he gets contentment. It is not by having his own desires satisfied, but by melting his will and desires into God's will. So that in one sense, he comes to have his desires satisfied, though he does not obtain the thing that he desired before. Still, he comes to be satisfied with this because he makes his will to be at one with God's will. See, I I think we miss opportunities to thank God because we're looking for something else. We wrongly assume that the circumstances that line up with our will are good and the ones that don't are bad. We, We want our will to be done. And when it's not, it It can feel like God isn't treating us right. It can feel like he doesn't care or that he doesn't have our best interest in mind. And that makes it a struggle to trust God and it makes it easy to grumble and complain. In those moments, we functionally believe that we have greater wisdom than God. And that's not good. Now, not all thanklessness is active complaining. Sometimes we aren't thankful because we're just preoccupied with the things of this world. We, we aren't thinking about the things above. We're too focused on the things below. Commentator F.F. F. Bruce says, Don't let your ambitions be earthbound, set on transitory and inferior objects. Don't look at life and the universe from the standpoint of these lower planes. Look at them from Christ's exalted standpoint. Judge everything by the standards of that new creation to which you now belong, not by those of the old order to which you have said a final farewell. All right, so that's number two, focus on the goodness of God. Number three, last point, focus on your blessings. So what are we supposed to do with all this? What are some practical steps we can take? Well, first, we can repent. Repentance can have a bad reputation nowadays, but I love repentance. I actually have a love-hate relationship with it, but I love it, kind of. It's, <laughs> repentance is the pathway to change. Identifying where we're sinning, it's a great thing. You know why? Because we know what to do with our sin, don't we? We bring it to the cross. And Jesus forgives us and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. That's First John 1, 9. We should be really thankful when we see sin because we have a Savior who is eager to forgive us and to give us power to change. So when you don't feel like being grateful, when you complain or grumble 
or judge someone or gossip or envy, when, when you get angry and demand things or try to control things, when you manipulate people or pout or mope or focus on what you don't have, when you're always looking on the negative side of things or you forget who God is and what he has done, you're falling into the sin of ingratitude. Ingratitude is sin. Complaining is sin. So, so let's, let's repent. Let's ask God to forgive us and change us. He loves to do that. Second, we can look for blessings. We can focus on blessings. We can and should intentionally look for blessings because they are everywhere. We can literally find blessings and things to thank God for in every situation, in every moment of the day. My mom lives part of the year in, on Sanibel Island, although some of her house was destroyed. There's all these houses. But she, in that storm, remember that storm came right over Sanibel. Well, Sanibel is like the seashell capital of the world. And one of the things they do there is they have this thing called, this Facebook thing called Sanibel Shells. And people, mostly ladies, I've only seen ladies on this. I'm sure there's guys that do it too. They find shells and they paint them and hide them everywhere. So what you do is like, you know, you hide them in like, I was asking my mom, are they like hidden in the bathrooms? She's like, well, I haven't found one in the bathroom. But they're all over like in signs and different things. And I have seen more pictures of my mom holding little shells. It's like a giant Easter egg hunt on the whole island. But it's amazing, I I never even knew they're there, but once you know they're there, you just start to see them, they're everywhere. You start looking for them and you start to find them. And it's the same with blessings. You have to look for them. You have to develop an eye for them. You you have to practice, which, which means it takes work, it takes effort. It's like a muscle that has to be used and developed. But once you start doing this, you will find blessings everywhere. We should meditate every day on who God is, on his attributes, and on the ways that God has provided for us and blessed us. We should become like accountants, counting up all the blessings that God has poured out on us. And there are great benefits to this. Being thankful nourishes the heart in ways that other things can. It produces joy and happiness. The American Psychological Association found that focusing on blessings in your life has significant emotional and interpersonal benefits. It reduces stress and anxiety, and it produces peace. Psychologist Gary Collins even went so far as to say the core ingredient of mental health is gratitude. Counting your blessings reorients your heart toward God. In the classic film, It's a Wonderful Life, George Bailey despises his small town and his career, which he considers insignificant. He's about to commit suicide when an angel shows him what it would have been like if George had never existed. Once awakened to his blessings, once George comes out of this, he's standing in the fallen snow, in the falling snow, and George greets with joy 
the car that he had crashed into a tree. He greets the old building and loan office building with gladness. He enthusiastically wishes the town villain, Mr. Potter, a Merry Christmas. He suddenly loves his old drafty house. He is tickled that he might go to jail on false charges of embezzlement. The secret to the change? Well, he humbly prayed, please God. He focused on the things above. And his new awareness that he deserves none of the blessings he's experienced over his lifetime ushers in him into utter joy. He does away with thinking that he deserves any of it. He does away with his complaining and joy rushes in. We don't need more to be thankful for. We need to be more thankful for what we already have. Let's be leaders that look for blessings. And third, start thanking God. Start thanking God and others for everything. See, it's not enough to just feel thankful. You have to express it. You have to put it into words, both to God, who is the source of all blessings, and also to people who are the source of many blessings. Thanks is not just something you feel, it's something that you give. When Jesus healed the 10 lepers, I am sure that all the lepers felt incredibly thankful, but only one came back to thank Jesus. Thanksgiving is something you have to give to someone. So I started an experiment this week. I've I've just started to give God as much thanks as I could for who he is and what he has done. Even for the bad things I was not happy about, the the bad things that I didn't like, like when the Sixers got demolished in game two. So it was really hard for me to do this, but I sat down and I was like, okay, God, thank you that Embiid is back and that his knee held up. Thank you for that great block against Jalen Brown where Embiid crushed him. Thank you for weakening my faith that the Sixers can get past Boston, which helps me to long for heaven. And thank you for sanctifying me through the process of Philadelphia basketball. But honestly, honestly, it, it actually helped me to do this. It did. And over the last couple of days, I have been waking up and just inundating God with specific thanks. Even when I'm tempted to complain, I just try to turn that into a thanks. Our shower was kind of clogged, and I was like, I hate, Lord, thank you that we have running water. Thank you that I can take a hot shower, and that I have a comfortable bed, and the fact that we can rebuild our deck. Thank you that we have food. Thank you for my godly wife and a million other things. And it's given me more joy. I'm less focused on, when I'm thanking God, I'm less focused on my needs. Do you know what I mean by that? on what I need or think that I need, the things that I want. And I'm more focused on the goodness of God and the things above. Now, I'm still working on thanking others. That muscle's still atrophied, but I'm starting to work it out. So here's an assignment. This is a suggestion. Let's take time every day this week to thank God for who he is, for his goodness, for his beauty, his excellence, his perfection. 
And let's thank God for as many blessings as we can think of. If you like to write things down or journal, write them all down. Let's try to spend more time thanking God for things than asking God for things. And I'm not just talking about a set time of prayer in the morning. Let's send up little prayers of thanksgiving all day. And let's thank others as well. There are people that deserve our heartfelt thanks, so let's make it a point to give it to them. And as we grow in thankfulness, as we exercise these muscles, we will find ourselves drawn again and again to the foot of the cross, the blazing center of our worship and thanksgiving. And we will give him thanks both now and for all eternity. Let's pray. Lord, we just have so much to be thankful for. God, we are overwhelmed by what you have done in our lives. And it all flows from who you are. You are a good God, and you do good. And we are stunned. We are in awe of who you are and the love that you have shown sinners like us to make us your own people at such a great cost. Father, thank you for crushing your son. Jesus, thank you for absorbing our wrath. Thank you for taking our hell that we could be forgiven and fully adopted into your family, united to you, joined together, seated in heavenly places, made righteous through the blood of Christ, Lord. And then all the millions of blessings that you pour out on us every day. Lord, please help us to to work harder to thank you, God. Please help us to make up this difference and to, to be the most grateful people in the world. God, we want you to do that in our hearts. And we pray that you would do it by the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.